Hello and welcome to the 6++ Plus Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. It was fine until you went live and then it went wrong when we went live. And then live you turned all Necron on us. So, um, Alright, if you were here before, shut your goddamn mouth, you didn't see that. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> That 6++ Show, the only podcast by three dudes, brought to you for free with an early Black Friday deal. That's right, not only can you, instead of paying nothing to listen to us talk, you can pay nothing this year in an exclusive early Black Friday deal. How are you doing today, Chris? I am very well, thank you. How are you, good sir? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, work is busy, people are off sick, and... Um, Actually, no, terrible. Life is suffering. Existence is pain. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't wait for the weekend. It's my, uh, my partner's 30th birthday. We're going oh. out to not a Michelin star restaurant, but that sort of vein. Okay. Um, and there's also a magic release happening this weekend. But that's the less important thing. The most important thing is the, uh, the celebration. Of, my of course, birthday. apparently so. Did you buy her magic cards for her birthday? No, of course not. Yeah. I thought she was into I bought her magic cards before okay. that weren't for her birthday. I just it was just the thing that I did. Um but I'm feeling really attacked right now. How dare you question me? <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. Scriver, how are you doing? I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah, can't complain. Uh just everywhere I look now there is space marine ta- like tech marines and dreadnoughts and well world wins. eaters, whirlwinds. There's a, a, a very noisy Redemptor Dreadnought on the floor, but I, w- I would show you that. But yeah, I, I think I've got a problem. Look, I did a lot of trading. Um, our Votan main might be picking up a new army theme during Christmas. So I did a swap C and got some of his Space Marines that he didn't want. Um, I'm not going to spoil what he's gone with, but yeah, it was, sounds quite exciting. From the pre uh, d- the discussion we had before we go live, we all know that the only Christmas themed army is Harlequins painted as Santa's elves. So, oh, I'm looking yeah. forward to a return to his roots. He does like his uh, his pointy pointy eared elves. Mm, yeah, painted green as well a lot of the time. Yeah, with red, red and green. Red and green. Good evening to everyone in the chat. Good to see you, Patrick. Sindri. Sindri's on his lunch listening to us again. Love to see it. Uh, existence, you... Uh, no, you're you're too nice, Existence. You've only been good to me. Don't start with the baiting now. Uh, and then Gastronaut's gone. I enjoy it. It's weekly now. He's done that before, hasn't he? Has he? Has he? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I just have positive memories of him from you know the uh, the 10th edition streaming stuff we were doing at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, Gastronauticon, uh, we don't know what you talk about. That that never happened. That didn't happen. Uh, and if you're yeah. listening to this on the podcast, you're going to be especially confused when I've cut <laughs> the opening out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, mention it again, and we will uh, send someone around to mind wipe you and turn you into Servitor. <laughs> uh, good to see you, Forgeable Titan. Good morning. Uh, and Existence is, is backtracking. That's all right. Well, you're forgiven, but I've got my eye on you. So, Hobby. How have we been doing on hobby? Chris, let's start with you. Well, as we know, um, I have been really excited to build on my Grey Knight. You know, I'm a bit, bit fed up with the old Eldar. It's got a bit boring, a bit monotonous. Mm. Expecting them to get trashed into the ground. So I have, of course, therefore been painting up some lovely new World Eaters. Um, <laughs> because uh, basically... It seems a few of us have all decided to become world eater mains at the same time in the police. Um, I'm not going to lie. 
I am also tempted. Yeah, it's become a bit of an epidemic. Um, so I was at the start of was. nice, nice. I at the start of tenth, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe world eaters would be quite cool. And then, as we know, Eldar were um, quite good, so I ended up deciding to take them instead. Um, and but yeah, I just I had my other Christmas box, and then we went and had that games day, and I don't know, it's just. I just Felt, felt right, and I bought some Exalted 8-Bound and the Master of Executions, and I just sat down and I started painting them, and they're really fun to paint. Um, and you've got all, like, the gore and the like the battle damage effects and that sort of thing. And, yeah, just kind of knocked them out. And then yesterday I went and bought a load more, which are on their way. Um, and I've also got the Christmas box coming, and so I'm estimating in a couple of weeks I'll have about 2,000 points. So it's escalated quite quickly. How quickly I can paint it um, will be a matter, of course. But yeah, so now currently I'm, I've am got my Grey Knight Terminators just to the side of my painting map whilst I'm painting my World Eaters. Uh, so <laughs> it's just the fact, I think it was the fact that I have like 25 Silver Terminators to paint. Um, I'm no Paul James. I can't just smash out 40 Terminators and have a good time about it. So um, yeah, I'm painting World Eaters and I'm loving it. Red is the best colour to paint, just objectively. I'm Here is white, one red model. Here is another red model from a different army. Uh, here is another red model from a different army. I have a, a surprising amount of red models on my desk. That, oh, here's a, a Tyranid Carapace in red. Uh, so I'm, nice. I'm fully on board with World Eaters, uh, purely yeah. just so I can paint them a colour that isn't red. Yeah, I mean, mine are white. And blue. I haven't actually gone Sotek though. For those of you who don't know, pretty much every army I own is Sotek in some way. Mm. I've not gone Sotek. I have gone for um, I have gone for the World Eaters Heresy scheme. So it's a great one. It's cool. Lovely. Well, how about yourself, John? Um, I've dug out an old Whirlwind Forge World turret and decided it needed an actual base for it. So I've been currently finishing off a Rhino that I I think I built it in seventh edition. When they did like the end of seventh, you could buy a tactical squad and a rhino. The tactical squads are still in the box, primed. Don't know when I'm ever going to see them. But yeah, um, that is probably my biggest project I've done this week. And then I've built two out of three eight bound because <laughs> I'm being very slow with them for some reason. That is that is a weird amount. It feels like yeah. you kind of just sit down in one session and do them all. But uh... I was doing it at work. So it's like, as it oh, business, fair enough. I've, I've stuck an arm together and I'm like, oh, a customer wants to be served. Great, oh, this is <laughs> How worse. dare I? But yeah, but uh, for me, it was kind of a, an easy option because I've been kind of mulling them since I think it was the last, the second lockdown. Like my project at the end of eighth was like, what I'm going to do is I'll do some world eaters. And so I started building using the Age of Sigmar Bloodbound guys, making my own corn berserkers. I've got 10 of them. Never going to use them now. Made myself a Hellbrute. Never going to use that apart from Crusade. And I've got a Mauler Fiend on my desk at the moment. I'm just tweaking the paint scheme on that. Won't see tabletop at a competitive event for me. But I'm still going to try using it. Because it'll be fun, right? That's fair. I think it's yeah. blown off the board. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Can't wait. <laughs> I, I didn't understand half the words you said there. Not competitive, fun, <laughs> yeah. and crusade. I was. I'm I doing a crusade. Yeah. No. I. I, I really didn't follow. Um. But it sounds like you're having a great time. So that's the important thing. Um. Well, moving on. Have we have got you? much? Have you done any hobby? Oh no! I was trying to go <laughs> past that. No, no, no. <laughs> What's your hobby been like, Ed? Um, yeah. I, so to be fair, 
I, the event that I'm going to, shut the fuck up, uh, <laughs> the event I'm going to at the end of the month, um, which I will plug later on, but I've forgotten the name of it, so I need to check that before I do. Smooth. Uh, I'm going to take Chaos Knights. The more I play them, the more I go, actually, like, there is a skill ceiling here other than just running at my opponents. Uh, and I do feel like at an event with a smaller player base, it is something I could probably take to the aim to win the event so that'll be my my challenge i think see if i can take chaos knights to a 20 odd person gt and win that one but yeah anyway my my point being i've got them almost entirely made uh i've got to work out what list i want to take i really enjoyed the six carnivores i was running at teams so i think i don't want to take too many demons maybe one drop one carnivore for a uh blue scribes and some two two basin nerdlings Two squads of Nerdlinks. That seems like that might be the, the fastest way forward. So I think I've got all those bits floating around, so I don't really need to do much. I've been thinking about doing Marines, and then that just hasn't materialized, because I'm not going to play them until January at an event, and by that point I don't really know what I want to do with them. Yeah. It'll be a different landscape. Finding it difficult to motivate myself, because I, I tend to do either nothing or entire armies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no sort of middle ground for me. That's fair. But yeah, so uh, thanks for calling me out. Moving on, uh, how, how are we doing on the hobby roundup? What have we got this? this well, week? sir, um, got the content machine ticking over nicely. Um, so we had a bite-sized battle report, um, which we've released, which is um, Tom recorded playing his Votan on the Friday of LGT into Paulie's um, Drakari, um, and that has gone down a hit. Um, on your YouTube, so make sure you check that out if you want. Twenty that that well-known phrase used by human beings. Gone it has gone down a, a hit. Not a storm. It's gone down a or hit. a treat. Or gone a down treat. well. No, nope. none of those. It's gone down a hit. You're you call me out. I'm immediately on the offense. <laughs> I'm looking for anything. I'll anything have you. Now, any opportunity. <laughs> um, I did. You do a police roundup last week, Scriver. I think we did, but I think a few things were missed. Classic, Tom. Okay, right, well... Not naming uh, any names, but my show was missed. Yeah, so <laughs> Scrivo has this incredible show where he is talking all about the WTC, um, and he released episode three with none other than Innes Wilson. So he interviews Innes Wilson and talks all about WTC, which is um, very cool. Um, so if you have any interest in the WTC team events... Wales, Scotland, now's your time to find out more information. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ed and Scrivo have been taking on um, the Codex Space Marines and um, looking at all the different attachments, and they've just released um, the Anvil Siege Force video. So, uh, If I can just very quickly interject, uh, yeah. we were having a joke about me having just rants about things, uh, and I was like... It's not, not a real thing. I'm going to have a rant about something. If you want to leave negative feedback on the video, that's fine. However, I would like you to be able to watch the video, understand the video, understand what data sheets are. Do not look, do not watch this video and go, I don't know what this unit is. How is this video any good? My content requires you to have a basic level of competency. So <laughs> if you can't walk and also chew gum, then maybe something else is for you sorry back to the roundup there 
I enjoyed that because that wasn't that like two videos ago. Last uh, that that was the yeah. first one. That's that's four or five yeah, videos. You did it right every time, Ed. I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't on last week, so you didn't get to. Uh... No, it was Halloween. Uh, we were watching um... Hocus Pocus. No, no. Wait, it's funny. Everyone asks that. It's the uh, the Dare the Dead uh, kids film. When me oh, and um, into Coco. Yeah. I, that's the one yeah. Yeah, yeah we got halfway through and i was like oh shit i've watched this already she's like oh i'm really sorry no i forgot also great film i'll watch it again yeah it's had a, a great time yeah. anyway sorry you were talking anyway, about yeah, content we, were doing or something. So, yeah. we have also had um a couple of live ones so um rock and stone episode three of otan tearless featuring our very own um tom noman and then also jake from vanguard and James Marsden from Toys of Mass Destruction. As you know, we have a specialist um, Votan um, podcast. So they did a tier list on all the different units. So anyone interested in Votan, obviously Votan are actually quite present in the meta of moment. Definitely check that out. Um, on Sunday, we had um, Davy and my, myself join um, Jack to talk about Tyranids, Necrons, and Grey Knights in our Matchup Plus Plus video, where we kind of go through the key units, the sorts of lists you would expect, and how what you need to be thinking about when tackling those. Um, and yeah, that's kind of been it recently, been smashing out the old buttons. So if you um, are enjoying the content and would like more content or earlier content then check out our patreon in the description below and if you are thinking you know what i want more toy soldiers well why don't you use the link in our description which will take you to composite games who sell things at around about 20 percent off and then when you buy it why don't you use the code plus all in capital letters because that will get you an extra five percent off and might also help line our pockets ever so slightly too for anyone who doesn't speak 6++, that is P-L-U-S-E, all caps. Absolutely. And it's all in the description below. All our videos have all of that stuff. And you can always find our link tree there, which has all of our links. We've got a banging Discord, banging Facebook, banging Instagram, all the good stuff. Come and join us. And that is the Hobby Roundup. Or the Plus Excellent. Roundup, <laughs> one of the two well, either or lovely stuff well we had a topic in mind for this evening we were going to be talking about the deployment phase why it's important and uh, how not to lose the game before you roll any dice is uh, the the sort of angle that i was thinking about yeah. so who wants to take point on you know what let's do this a different way give me the biggest fuck up you've had in the deployment phase before we go anywhere else give me the one that stuck with you Oh, I'm ready to throw you guys screw So what's the mission where you've got the Alpha and the Omega objectives? The one so we're talking about the I can't remember the name of it, the objective yeah, where you roll that, a die, you randomly yeah. select two of the three objectives. One turn disappears on turn four, yeah. one disappears on turn five. The first time I played that, I put my entire army on one side of the board playing uh Rob, <laughs> our Drakari main. Basically on that half of the board was like, cool, at the very worst, I'll be in the middle. And I was on the wrong side. And that was probably my second or third game of 10th. And I just went, right, this has cost me the game. Because I was like, oh, it's all right. I'm on my home objective. It doesn't count for shite in that mission, does it? I was like, cool. This is this is a good yeah. learning. So now that mission, I'm always just like, I'm spread across the middle. Somewhere in the middle. I can't go wrong if I'm in the middle. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't intimately know the two armies that uh, our players play. Um, so Rob's playing Drakari, which is just lots of stuff in boats. That's pretty yep. fast. That gets wherever it needs to be. And uh, Scrivo was playing Dark Angels. That's pretty slow. 
you gotta you gotta know where you're going ahead of time. Otherwise, you, you've got a bad time. Uh, speaking of, Rob's in the chat. Good to see you, Rob. Uh, just reminiscing about how you were beating Scribble. <sighs> Probably the third or fourth time. He lives rent free in my head, to be honest. <laughs> Do you ever play him at events? I did once. Oh, very nice, very nice. Chris, have you got a deployment mistake that's, uh, that's caused you? To be fair, I don't, but I would say more times... <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> no, more times than I would like to admit do I go, ah, definitely put this unit in the wrong place. And you start playing like, yep, no, I've definitely um, fucked this up here. Um, I think, to be fair, because I play a lot of the same armies over and over at the same events of UKTC... Mm. and we'll obviously end up covering this repetition and knowing where you to put your stuff um is quite important and i've done it so many times now with the same armies on the same maps that actually it's quite hard to mess up but i do know that i actually really, really struggle when i go to events where i it's not like kind of a set terrain now so if i was to play at something like the saffron slam events where it's your tradition or your almost more old school like just random terrain around I would find that really hard. Um, mm. So I'm far more likely to mess up there. So those are where my kind of big mistakes go, where I don't plan things out and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Anyone who's who watched my series last year, the Yumi and the UKTC, that I will be doing again this um, new edition, I think about the game in triangles. So if you take away, you know, my triangles, I'm like, oh shit, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to reassess this. Yeah. Uh, turns out I can do it. Did it at the Saffron Slam? It was fine, but um, it is you, you get you fall into patterns of play. Yeah. Um, however, while we're with you know bigging up Rob, I I think the biggest mistake that I ever made in deployment was playing against him before my first LGT. I was playing the Orc Buggy Menace but like a more fun version. There was only, I think, six of each buggy instead of the full nine. No. And then I had some infantry stuff as well. He's a nice guy. Uh, no, absolutely not. I just, you know, have the need to be a special snowflake at all times. <laughs> I convinced myself that it was better. Objectively wasn't. Um, I had a lot more fun with it, though. Instead of just being like, oh, I've shot you to death. I was like, oh, I've shot you to death. And I've scored objectives. Um, you know, great times. But I deployed. He um, forward deployed to Mandrakes. And then went first and blocked my entire army in. And <laughs> oh, I love this story. Yeah, that's that's basically it. It's one of those where you lose the roll-off and you go, ah, I have lost the game. This is very upsetting. It was awful. Uh, I didn't get to move out my deployment for, I think, two turns or something daft. Um, I feel like you blocked me in a boat afterwards or something along those lines. I forget the details, just the deep-seated trauma. That that's is, what uh, it did to me. Yeah. I will say... <laughs> <With I've, orcs. laughs> I've never been move blocked in since, <sighs> despite playing almost entirely vehicles and monsters. Um, turns out you can just spread your army out, and that's that's it. Like mm. it's quite hard to mess up your deployment if you're playing loads of vehicles because you just go, "Am I able to move out of every point of my deployment?" Cool, jobs are good. But yeah, so deployment. Why is it important? I think we've kind of touched on a few of those but um what's the most important thing for you what do you want to achieve with your de deployment when you start off chris um so i think firstly 
deployment doesn't necessarily win you games because between two good players, you know, it's there's going to be a lot more stuff to happen. But deployment can absolutely lose you a game. And I think um, kind of especially when you first start playing, it's very much like, oh, I'll put this unit here, this unit here, this kind of feels about right. Um, but then kind of as you get to play more and more, you start to think about the sorts of things that you that you can do and the sorts of things you need to be thinking about from your opponent. And for me, it's all about setting up your game plan, your mission plan. Um, I have to shout out crazy here. I have to shout out Paul Bridge. So um, friend of the show, Paul Bridge, um, we regularly come across him at events. We, I played him in a team's event when he was playing Thousand Sons. And what was really clear to me, um, mainly because he kept telling me, was that as he, <laughs> as he deployed, um, he was planning out his kind of first two to three turns of movement f- based on his deployment because he had to. Um, because if you didn't do that with his army, it wasn't, it was, it could just go, if you were trying to play in that reactive style, it wasn't going to work. You had to be the person. Out. And I think that probably does obviously depend on your army somewhat. But I think um, for me, you know, that the deployment sets up the game. You When you get it right, you really, you certainly, it helps the flow of the game and the tempo. And it's so noticeable when you get it wrong and you're all, you're already on the back foot, aren't you? Um, so for me, that's why deployment's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think certain armies really... Um lean into that more the big example and you'll you'll have experienced this as well ninth edition custodies because you could advance and do objectives turn one you knew on uktc you want to be sat up here and here um so if you roll a three you can get onto the objective and you can uh, do your you know raise your banners um obviously only ever rolled ones and twos doing that it was it was bizarre couldn't couldn't roll anything reasonable Uh, but how about yourself john what do you think is the most important thing for you so for me a lot of the time it's about points mitigation so i plan to go second a lot of the time and position units so that then they're not offering free points Mm. so a good example is we chatted about this before the the the, um the show when i've got infiltrator units so say i've got some scouts in my space marine army i'll put some just in that middle ruin in uktc within six of the middle helping deny area denial but also not on an objective so that it then prevents um Storm hostile objectives. Um, Overwhelming force. Overwhelming force. That's the one. Not that. And then also the other option as well, if I know how the distances are, I'll put some scouts in what looks like the middle of the board, six inches forward. If they do their scout move, they go into a ruin slash on an objective. And if I'm going six inches backwards or to the side, they're hidden out line of sight and safe. So depending on whether I'm going first or second, there's two options of play. Uh, You know what? You've raised a really uh, incredible point there that I think we need to dive into a little bit. Um, 55 point scouts. What the fuck? I just want to have a complete <laughs> sidebar. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? How how have you written these rules? Uh, mate, they're incredible. How, how do you write these rules? Go, actually, they need a points cut from what they were before. Did you know, Chris, because uh, obviously the two of us have been looking at a lot of space moons. Did you know that they have infiltrate and scout? Yeah, when Squirrel was talking about scout moves, I was like, what? Surely they just infiltrate. So you can start them nine away. Uh-huh. Then you get... I don't believe turn. you can... I believe... You can't get closer scout, than nine. Yeah. Though. Oh, you can't get closer no. with the scout. Okay, I was going to say... Yeah. That's, that's but you know what you can do? You can move. You can start 15 inches away. 
and then you can either scout forward six or scout into another position six um and you can Safe. move block your opponent almost mm. without fear because you're 12 inches away from where you would have been if you were going for it and you had to you know you had a fair bottle the, yeah. a fair unit that had to just stand where they were it's ridiculous it's truly it's the most five points that is that's pretty yeah. tasty. It's the most Eldar unit in the game. And it El is, it's not Eldar. Because <laughs> the ranges, obviously, for Eldar are 55 points as well. So you've got that direct comparison there. Yeah. So my so my rangers have infiltrate. You have infiltrate. I don't have scout. You do have scout. I'm, minus, scouts? One, I'm minus one to hit with a five up in run in shooting. Yep. You are two wounds, toughness four. Mm -hmm. four what's, what's your shooting? Is it a uh, four minus one two damage? A, a precision sniper rifle, yeah. a missile launcher or heavy bolter. Okay, we didn't get that. A shotgun and a bolt gun. Do yours move if someone comes within nine? Uh, can, if they're in the right attachment, attachment and what kind of movement? Okay, because obviously, so the range is inbuilt rule is um, yeah. is move d six when someone moves. And at the nine. end of your opponent's turn, if they're not within six of an enemy unit, they can get put into strat reserves. Ah. Yeah, they're pretty good. That feels quite bit. That feels feel better than Rangers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> those poor Eldar players, eh? How are they going? Fucking bullshit, mate. It's the 165 points of any Space Marine list. It yeah. counts. I think on the table, maybe you could justify cutting one of them and go down yeah. to two. But they're so cheap. Yeah. Like, I think you maybe just run three, and I know that's not necessarily what everyone's doing at the moment. But like, fucking hell, they are so good. Yeah. yeah, it's because you've got that sort of um, late game objective scoring, you just bring them down in your deployment and you go, guess turn three, they're going to go off and score me some uh, teleport overs. Mm. You know, shame that is just incredibly easy to score and gives me a free 20 every game with this list. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Jack Tight says, uh, just ask Ed about my poor Forge Fiend. Yeah, so I played this poorly because it was the first time I played Marines, I believe, or maybe the second. And I just deployed them nine inches away from his line with the intent to like move in and pin his forge fiend when he was practicing some CSM. Um, I won the roll off, so I wasn't punished for it, but I could have deployed them six inches back and then just done the, you know, the bullshit of move them forwards, then move forwards on my turn. Uh, but yeah, they just charged, tagged a forge fiend, pinned it in place for effectively the entire game, which was <laughs> hilarious. It meant that I could, you know, run my redeemer up into the middle of the board fairly risk-free um because he started this other forge fiend in reserves from memory but yeah great times great just a little unit you it's so versatile um and let's let's talk about the versatility of forward deploy in deployment before we do get that quick shout out to sean capewell uh i forget whole units in deployment um <laughs> this is the show for you then sean I like I'm I'm fully jinxing myself now. Now I'm going to do it. I it's been a long time since I've done that, but I remember the pain. Uh I think I did it in an event in eighth edition once. I was just like, oh, guess I'm playing without a unit then. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, I've definitely um, done it in an event. I think we got halfway through my first turn. I was like, oh no, these shining spears. <laughs> He was like, just put them in the corner of your deployment zone and it's all fine. I say, thank yeah. you. <laughs> That's very nice of them. Yeah. yeah nice. Lovely stuff. So, four deploy units. They're not all scouts, but they are almost all fantastic, unless they're stupidly overcosted. Um, how, when you're list building, how many, if you've got access to them, how many four deploy units do you take? And I understand that there's 
huge amount of variance in that as to what you've got available, what they cost, what everything else. But what do you like to bring forward deploy wise? So for me, without obviously that it's the Rangers, and I found it quite interesting as you know, you've seen all these horrendous, like, just blow your opponent off the board Eldar lists and then the nerf, and then, um, you know, kind of there's a bit of a status quo. A lot of the top lists still aren't bringing the Rangers. Um, for me, personally, I just really enjoy their versatility, so I always try and get one unit in. I did play an event without um, them, but actually, they just offer you so many different options. I would always try and get at least one in. Um, obviously, their thing is that they're up ahead of your army, they're going to die first. So therefore, you know, you don't want to be investing a huge amount of points into them, I believe. But um, just in terms of creating good tempo and setting or, or points like alterations, like either scoring new points or denying your um, opponent points for that first turn, um, move blocking like there's so many different things that that um that unit can do that i really do think that um because let's face it they're pointed for the ability to infiltrate they're not generally i mean i could be wrong but i don't think there are too many infiltrating units that are truly like really hurty like they're not going to kill a load of stuff so actually you're paying a cheap cost for not an output but you're paying a cheap cost for just the utility and the board presence and the being a dick. And so therefore I quite like having always at least one unit. How about you, Scribble? How many do you like to bring? I tend to have two units of scouts as a minimum. Um, I have kind of dabbled with a third unit where I've had the infiltrators that I don't then forward deploy, but I've got the option to. So depending on the matchup, whether I do need something to kind of throw forward, but yeah, I tend to like two. Um, I, I did try last weekend two scout units and a unit of Deathwing Knights as infiltrators. Um, it's quite hard that, to actually... That classic just... infiltrator <laughs> unit. As, as you know. I mean, that thing I said where infiltrators <laughs> don't have much output. Yeah. Um, turns out ten Deathwing Knight infiltrators probably would prove <laughs> but if you if you lose the roll off, having that big brick as a threat is all well and good, but if you haven't got a good spot to be put in, you're losing that value quite quickly. Yeah. For for context, for anyone who doesn't understand how the hell a brick of <laughs> Deathwing Knights, the famously stealthy unit uh, in the, the Dark Angels book, it's the new detachment, the Vanguard, that lets you take an enhancement on a character and you can forward deploy one unit, any unit that he can attach to. Um, and it's just going to be Deathwing Knights because that's yeah. the beefy, the killy. You want them there as quickly as possible. You really yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, if they don't get to the middle of the board, then you kind of just lose the game. Um, flashback yeah. teams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I I like two, uh, two two cheap infiltrator units. I think part of that comes from it often does double duty. Not only are they like you infiltrate throw away units, but they're also your scoring units. So yes. I like being able to chuck one somewhere I don't care about them dying potentially threaten to move blocking my opponent or just set up to do teleport homers in the middle of the board um, which is inherently a little risky because your opponent might just come out and kill you uh, and then you've got another one that does something off in the wings or you can you know you're playing against all vehicles and you can go ha, i'm gonna move block you in two places it's good that's how i uh i used to run it with my yanari two ranger units and yeah it is really nice i would love to it's just you know, Eldar have some quite good toys, 
So. Mm. Yes, no, they do. And they're all really expensive now because unfairly, Eldar did get some big points hits. Very can't believe, yeah, can't believe that happened. No. Weird. So, side note, how many points are the uh, the Wraith Lords now? The uh, Not the Wraith Knights, the Wraith Lords. Anyone know? Did they? They, they least... didn't change. So what, they were whatever when you played them. Yeah, so maybe, maybe I just bust that out at some point. Hey, I got Wraith Lords again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think without all of the other broken stuff that I was running at the time, they're probably significantly less valuable. Lovely stuff. Uh, whoever's crinkling, cut it out. <laughs> uh, right, so we've done the forward deploy. What would you say is the easiest way to lose the game in deployment? And I know we sort of touched on this a little bit in sort of what our biggest mistake was, but what what is it when you see someone at the other side of the table doing that makes you go, oh, cool, I've won this game? Forgetting that if you go sec, if you're if you go second, your opponent gets to move stuff before they shoot you. I think that's quite a common thing. So you line up and you're like, cool, I'm safe. I've got these angles covered. Mm. And then they go, right, this move is, is now going to move down this line 10 inches. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Because they can now see, create that angle. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a big part, like, I mean, it's been a lot worse in the old days when we had these horrendous alpha strike armies where, you know, you'd go second and you'd now be playing the game with 1,200 points versus um, the 2,000 points of your opponent. And yeah. it's a bit better these days, but any kind of... And that, I guess, this is probably, for me, the most important thing when you're deploying is thinking about, right, your opponent has finally put down their big, scary tank. What's its move? Where can it draw a line of sight to? Can it get to your spot? And also, I think for me, a big one is that, and I don't do this, which is why I'm saying it, is like be checking all the angles. So often, I put a model in a spot and then make an assumption that it will be free. So um, there's, on the on the diagonal deployment, I often put my night spinner behind the big L. I've got two night spinners, so I put one in big L, one behind the big L. And actually, there is an angle your opponent can get from their big L down the flank with something like a forge fiend. Yeah. And um, also, you quite often put your incarn around there. Mm. And if you watch Nassim versus um, Chris Radford, I think, on the LGT um, stream, um, Chris Radford just blasts his forge fiend down that angle. Um, and it seems like, Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you could just see that. Okay, fair enough. And yeah, Jack says there, my night spinners and your land raider could see turn one. Yeah, you just, I just don't walk around the table. I'm like, well, obviously, this is hidden. And suddenly, like, obviously, sometimes you play against a really lovely opponent like Jack, yeah. who's like, Chris, obviously, I'm assuming you don't want my land raider to see down that line. I'm like, well, yeah, obviously. Oh, shit. Thank you, Jack. And sometimes you play against people who are like, I'm going to shoot that, you dumbass. Yeah. So, so for me, I certainly kind of, and I think a big thing is also like declaring intent. Yes. Um, yes. And being like, right, I am move put in here. If you move your land raider here, and if you move your move your forge fiend here, can you generate that angle? Um, and then you both declare, kind of come to that um, agreement as a pair, and um, then you know that you're safe. So I think, for me. Um, 
how are you going to lose that game where you're going to forget that your opponent can move? So make sure you are measuring out their movement and their threat ranges. We've all done it. Well, yeah. A lot of players do it these days. It's like, well, oh, what's the range of your night spinner? 48 inches. If I put it in this big L, cool. Right. I can see get everywhere apart from your furthest corner or whatever. So knowing the key threat ranges and kind of where they can get to turn one, I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to kind of build on that, the the moving... I find with my um, war dog list, I'm running six brigands, uh, and then there's a stalker in there, but we don't talk about the stalker because <laughs> fuck the stalker. Um, so I've got really good efficient shooting that is limited to 12 inch range. I can shoot it at the 12 to 24 inch range bracket, but at that point, I'm just straight D6 damage, and mm. I don't love my odds of killing something tanky with that. So, turn one, I very rarely kill anything meaningful. I I love shooting my entire army into like a chaff unit behind line of sight, and I'll even spend CP to give myself exploding sixes, and then not roll any sixes. But that's another another problem. Uh, I'm a big fan of when my opponent respects my damage too much, and you've got to really think about what your opponent's bringing. Like, yes everyone will have ways of dealing with vehicles. Is it going to be a problem turn one if you deploy on the line? Because if not, maybe just deploy on the line. People yeah. don't seem to do that enough. Um, when I was playing at teams especially, everyone was hiding all of their anti-tank, despite us always being 24 inches apart, realistically. And like, yeah, I can, you know, carnivore through walls and come and, um, come and go get you that way. But if I'm shooting you over 12 inches away, it doesn't really matter that much. I'll, I'll ding up one like land raider or something, but I'm not going to do significant damage to it. I think a lot of us have habits, don't we? I know, like, I could probably line up against world eaters and I will still mm. hide because it's just an instinctive thing, isn't it? Of, yeah. oh, I'll just go in the terrain rather than actually being like, right, what is it? Because people quite often ask me, like, what's your threat ranges? What's your anti tank? I'm like, well, I don't really have any, especially nothing beyond the race guard, which are 18 inches. Um, so actually, don't really have any brick of race guard. Eighteen inch range, right? So therefore, they don't have that kind of that big that threat. If I'm going to go first, mm. so I think it's certainly yeah. I think people often just instinctively deploy more cautiously than perhaps they have to. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it it gives you a free turn of movement, especially if you go first. Because you can just go, oh, cool! I'm going to move to where I wanted to go, and now you're going to really struggle to get the the angles, especially on the UKTC. You can often make it very difficult for someone to get an angle if they're hiding behind their back L with their one big anti tank weapon. Cool. Guess I uh, don't get shot this turn. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Scriver? What are you thinking? So for me, another one is the order of which I place the units. Mm. So if I've got something that is so key, like uh, something that's got a specific target it needs to be going towards and its mobility isn't ideal, I will leave that as late as possible so I can see where their threat pieces have landed. So if I need to avoid their anti like their big shooting stuff, I know where it is. Or if I've got a target I want to jam those Terminators down their throat into, I know where I need to be. And it's just kind of that plan of like, when you start the game almost going, right, how many drops have you got? How many drops have I got? Working out whether you can actually get to see all of this like deployment before you finish or if you know it's not gonna be that situation just have to just kind of wait as late, long as possible for those key units and hold them back as late as you can yeah i think the order is so important isn't it like um it used to be the case that you would um in was it eighth or something where you would declare deep strikes 
So in what <laughs> you're doing, so you'd be trying to like, although this in deep strike, and you're trying to bait out to work out where your opponents um, kind of like big. Um... And it really mattered in eighth edition because there was no cover. So like yeah. you put a unit down, you're like, this is the unit that dies first. It was, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I do remember that. You're like, okay, so my first three drops are all deep strikes. Your move. And quite often you'll have like you'll have an important piece and your opponent will have an important piece which can hurt your important piece. And you're kinda of like trying to get out the stuff that isn't important so that you can you can kind of hopefully put it down afterwards. Um, and I think like that the as Scrivo says, you've got to be thinking about that or to get um, you know, you win that roll off, you're both opponent um for attacker defender, you've both got infiltrators. You're going to want to be being the defender so you can put that infiltrator unit down first. Um, and then you're also thinking about where are they going to want to put their stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it's about, right, where's the stuff that maybe doesn't match. So like my night spinner always goes down first because it's always going to go in exactly the same place. And what I do, um, like the Wraith Guard are generally always going to go in the obvious place. Hmm. But of what I do now, I didn't do when I played against Ed with the Knights. Um, and because in my head I was like, well, it's obvious it's going to go behind this middle out. But actually, there is still that element of if you can kind of bait your opponent into thinking, well, maybe it's going somewhere else. But once you put it down, they know for definite, right? So I think holding on to those big, powerful units, even if you're, you've clearly left a space, you know, just need, <laughs> when you measured it, <laughs> yeah, you've measured all your um, your synergies around and your auras. But you still want to just try and hold them off as long as possible just to keep your opponent guessing slightly because what might be obvious to you isn't always obvious to your opponent. Yeah, interesting. I So this is not interesting to anyone else watching because this was a game only... Oh, oh Ed's right on. Yeah, it was so interesting, Ed's internet died. In the bot. Oh, no. Well, Ed is currently telling us something really interesting. And his so we have to laugh as soon as he comes back and be like, oh, that was very fun yes, and interesting. Was, I wonder what was so interesting <laughs> that he was going to talk about. It's probably something what... that made him sound really smart, which normally is what he kind of tells the stories he does about. Enjoy... Oh, he's back. Oh, he't back. All right. Fine. Fine. <laughs> I get it. You don't want me to talk about a game that only two people here have any relevance towards. Cool. We'll move on. <laughs> the internet, the internet's but no, no. Come on, tell us, tell us. That, that's killing me now because I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried it's about me. You, you really teed it up. Uh, well, no, I was just going to say because um, with the phantasm ability that Elder have, you can kind of there was a there's a forward L on one of the ruins, and I was kind of expecting you to, to play towards that L on that bottom bit of the map. I know they're a slow unit, and that sort of keys them out to be only on that side of the map but i was wondering if you were just going to deploy them so that if i move forwards to try and get some damage on you you just go guess i'm behind the cell and you can't see me mm. um but yes moving on um i had a couple of people in chat sean says all the units turn one charged war that is that is something we haven't talked about melee armies do you want to just deploy in the line as much as possible um or, you know, build stuff like transports into your list, but I guess we can touch on that in a moment. Uh, Peter saying, always play with intent. Absolutely. Big agree there. Jack, I haven't been ignoring you, Jack. Apologies. I've missed a couple of your messages, and I felt bad about it at the time, but there was never a good time, uh, moment to say hi. Uh, he says, dark obscuration makes deploying on the line feel much safer. You're goddamn right it does. Um, you're just going to put a Nurgle Fortrine or a Nurgle Rhino or a Nurgle Ran Land Raider on the line. Only one of them. You can only pick one, yeah. uh, and then I'm not going to be able to shoot it. And that makes me very sad. 
Um, uh, unless their threat range is they can get close enough to be within the 12? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's unlikely, but there is that. For, for turn one, you just set up like an inch away from the wall, and you're like, uh, from the, the deployment line. You, know, you don't have anything that moves 14 inches and shoots, do you? Uh, Talent think... masters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it uh, shoots well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> fire prisms, I guess. You could yeet a fire prism forward if you were still running those and deployed yours on the line and there wasn't terrain in between. A couple of what ifs there. Uh, Big old Jim says, "What about juking with redeploys? I used to love doing this when I did mm. play with redeploys. I I like deploying the bulk of my army in the center, with two to three units on each flank, and then see where my opponent goes and go cool. Denied flank. I'm putting everything on this side of the board. Ah, you wanted to kill me piece at a time? No, all my army is together. Big fan of that. It was it was such an interesting mechanic, wasn't it? It is a shame yeah. that's kind of that's kind of mm. gone now." I think I think I'm okay with it because it gives such a huge tactical benefit to the armies that can take it. Compared, I know to an Eldar had it, so uh, Anchor Study, so yeah, God, God can still do it, can't they? Uh, the, so redeploys are in a weird position at the moment, in that the verbiage is bad, uh, and mm. Games Workshop in tenth edition writing loose, undefined rules. Who could have seen this coming? Yeah. Um, we don't it's technically so... know when most of them happen. Some of them are defined, and I can't remember which ones are which. Mm. I've kind of just written them all off my head because I'm like, well, if if I've got to do it after you've deployed before we know who goes first, the value on it's kind of low. Um, there is a lot of value talking about those forward deploys for armies that can do it after you know you're going second and you can just pull a unit back. That's nice. Um, but yeah, we are seeing less of those now. So um we were going to talk about what do you have to think about beforehand um and in this in the list building um what transports do you bring in and what leaders and what deep strike choices do you have and how does that affect trans uh your uh deployment choices so when you're writing a list do you ever write a list where you have to make that choice in deployment do you go oh i've got two units that i could attach a character to and this is the right choice for this map or this is the right choice for this army. Do you ever write that into your army? I personally don't. It's not really an Eldar thing, but I imagine no. Scrivo or you, you guys, you've done a lot of work on Marines. Marines is a lot more like that, is it not? It is, but I don't, I don't know that I've written any lists like that. And that's no. not to say that it's impossible to do. I just haven't done it. There is options for characters, but very mm. rarely I go, I have a different thing for this matchup. It's generally this character will be with this unit. And I've, I've not, yeah. not really shipped. That's maybe more that how I play it as well. I don't add that dynamic element to my list. It's very much I've got, this is what this unit's going to be doing with this guy. I think um, saying it out loud, I think it's just, it's a, a side effect of writing, writing focused lists. You're going, I'm going to run aggressors. How do I make them better? I'm going to give them lethal hits with the harm assist. Jobs yeah. are good. And there's nothing else that I want to attach that to. So... Um, if if anyone does have any thoughts on how to write competitive lists with characters that are flexible or any armies that can do that, um, I would love to hear those. So the one thing I was thinking, and I didn't end up doing it, but for my list for Coventry, I yeah. was considering dropping one of my units of Hawks and putting in Illic Knight Spear. So nice. for those who don't know, he joins a unit of Rangers, and if he does, he gives the unit of Rangers loan up. Mm. And what I was thinking was that in some shooty matchups, 
actually having that loan op unit in the middle of the board, which can't, because people obviously usually just kill those rangers straight away. Yeah. In the shooting matchup where I can just go, ha ha, you you've got to come within 12 to just kill this really annoying 55 point unit. And then in the matchups where actually they're going to be looking to charge the rangers and the rangers are just going to die to some sort of combat early, well, then I just don't attach um, Illic. Yeah. And then I have this 70-point loan up, um, another sniper who can just go and do actions and that sort of thing. So that was a thing I was really strongly considering. I bottled it, and I just decided to keep my second unit Hawks because I love Hawks. Um, but I yeah, think good. that is definitely one potential option. You know, as I was saying it, I've actually remembered the one time that I have tried to play around with it, and I've only played one practice game with it, so I'm not sold on the concept yet i've been writing custodies lists where i'm looking at characters as lone units um so the the best example here is trajan it's just a beat stick and yeah. i don't really care about the modifier thing unless i'm playing against for example an army that leans on minus one damage and this is using the uktc uh, rules pack where that does affect the minus one damage unlike the game the actual warmer world tournaments i think that doesn't anyway so the thinking there is he's just fantastic on his own you can rapid ingress in him in or deep strike him in he can be a real problem he's got a tiny footprint he's just a single 40 millimeter base uh it's also hilariously hard to kill if your opponent does manage to root about you're like oh i guess i'm using a two up invon uh i guess bet you forgot that they had this rule because you had to chew through the entire squad the uh, the other times you've dealt with him so I think something like that's quite good, and it gives you the flexibility of going, oh, I'm playing against uh, the Ironstorm Dread list. They all have minus one damage. I want to deal with them. I'm going to put Trajan with the unit of Wardens that normally would have, for example, the um, Blade Champion to give them advance and charge, something like that. Yeah. But that's the only sort of time that I can I think that it, it comes to mind for me. Yeah, yeah. so... Characters not so much then. How about deep strike choices? How often do you change your deployment based on you know the board or the army you're playing against? To, or do you tend to put the same units into deep strike every time? So I have um, I have my chaff units which all have deep strike, um, and my general rule of thumb is that I'm going to put um, kind of two units in deep strike, one unit war spiders, one unit shadow specters, because um, I think. It's. I know having played into it, it's really annoying when your opponent has something to drop down. Mm. Something that can be a pain. And to have that in the back of their mind is like obviously a nice tool. So generally, if you have that option, I think starting something off the board is really useful. Um, and I think most armies probably have something like that, which they are going to be either through rapid ingress or through normal deep strike trying to threaten something. Um, so for me, then, it's a matter of that a lot of my units are still glass cannon. They're just good at hiding, they're fast and good at getting where they want to be. So if my opponent has good indirect, then I've got to be thinking, well, I've probably got to keep a lot of this off the board. So if I was to, at Coventry, if I was to play into um, Triple Whirlwind, for example, I've got to make a decision about what I'm going to take off the board there because I don't really want to give... Um, I don't really want to give my opponent a chance to start getting rid of all my scoring units straight away. Mm. Um, and yeah, it might mean I have to sack off a turn for scoring, but it does mean that over turns two and three, hopefully I might well be able to 
hold on to those a bit better. So I think thinking about your opponent's output and what do you actually need on the board and what sort of alpha strike your because obviously some armies are all about dropping down and hammering for that like almost that beta strike. Um, so I guess it kind of fits into the army style. But yeah, I certainly have things I always do, but then there's some variation there. Yeah. How about yourself, Scrimmer? So similar. I've got off. I don't think I've built a Space Marine list yet that doesn't have two squads of three Inceptors because mm. of that, that utility of Deep Strike can come within three, well, more than three inches away as an aggressive thing that means that then they have to make a choice. Mm. If they don't want to lose their back objective or they don't want to try to screen me doing mine enemy lines or deploy temple homers, it creates them a problem that means they're not coming towards me. True. which I always love. And then uh, touching on what Chris said about kind of uh, no line of sight shooting, if I'm playing with my Deathwing Knights and I'm going into some Night Spinners, I very rarely want them on the board because mm. unless someone forgets to shoot them, they're not going very fast. No. It's a right pain in the backside. And their one kind of value is that they get in and chew stuff up. And if they can't get there more than two inches at a time, they're not getting there till turn five. So... Can't do much for two inches. God, that's that's such a funny thought. I'd just rather do a nine inch charge and re-roll it or something. Yeah. It's just like that's better than nothing. It's yeah. just No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh I've uh I've landed on the correct amount to reserve in every game playing Chaos Knights. And mm. it's two carnivores because you rapid ingress one on turn two and you rapid ingress one on turn three. My clockwork. Hey, mate, and you know what? It works. Despite telling opponents before games, before you know, and okay. saying to them, "Are you happy with my movement?" I'm going to rapid ingress. Uh, every time they go, "Oh shit, hold on." <laughs> you have to think about it, don't you? Let me oh, fix the mistakes. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh shit, hold on, I need, I need to put this here." I'm like, "Cool, you do that. I'm coming in this other spot, uh, <laughs> and now I am 12.5 inches away from your world eaters, and I am ready to rip and also tear on my turn." Um, yeah, Ooh. big fan of that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty cookie cutter on that one, which is which is. Mm. If you've got a plan and it works, why, why it, try to be clever, right? It hasn't stopped working yet, so um, we're gonna we're gonna at some point someone's gonna be like, ah, I understand how to play against rapid ingress, and I'm gonna go fucking demon because uh, <laughs> I don't think I've come up against anyone at all yet. People just don't really seem to. I, I think it's a combination of people haven't fully wrapped their head around it, and also it's hard to screen out your entire... It's, well, that's it, isn't it? It's about yeah. like trying to screen... You almost have to be setting it up from your deployment to be able to yeah. think, right, what are the dangerous places they can rapid English? It's just a powerful ability at the end of yeah. the day. Like, what, I, so... what I think people need to... And, and great point bringing it back to the deployment, is you need to think about where your opponent can rapid ingress and then look at your fire lanes. Because what I find is people, they stop you from getting close with throwaway cheap blockers or putting their units where they want them to be. Fine, cool, that's okay. I've got a 14-inch move. That's not the end of the world. You can't screen me out super effectively. Um, but if you screen out one side where you don't, the side that you can't see, and then you leave the side that you can see visible, I'm like, oh, well, now if I rapid ingress here, on your shooting phase which is immediately coming after i put my model down you can just shoot the shit out of me i think that would be the yeah. the way to deal with the rapid ingress threat um for something that has to come in from strat reserve anyway if you can deep strike all bets are off like god that's gonna be hard isn't it yeah it's gonna be sad when i have to deal with that myself mm. 
but yes, lovely stuff. All right, so um, what else have we got? I think probably want to talk. So, like when you're putting, we've spoken about the order in which um, you're putting things down, mm. and I guess you're also inevitably, you're, as we said, you want to be avoiding line of sight. But it's also about having positions to score your cards and actually having a clear, yeah. clear game plan, isn't it? So, like, what sort of cards? So we so Scrivo spoke about denying points. Yeah. But what sort of cards do you guys? Um, deliberately deploy to be able to score on your investigate first signals and area denial i planned for just in case they come up because there's nothing worse than being impossible for you to even score two corners on investigate signals whilst mm. two should be in your deployment zone so as long as the unit's within like 50 so for space marines everything moves six generally if i'm 15 inches away from that i say to my opponent they're there just so there's no ambiguity i'll be like if I need to go into the corner, they can get there. Done. Yeah. No, so that that is the main one. Like scouts will do that because it's it's a cheap unit to score two points. Why not? Yeah. And then also not being on an objective, so your opponent can't get that easy scoring turn one. Yeah. More of a thing with infiltrators that we spoke to, spoke about before with uh, overwhelming yeah. force. Um, not not giving obvious kills turn one in case your opponent gets overwhelming force or um, no prisoners or bring it down any of the kill secondaries yeah. i love it when my opponent gets two kill secondaries on turn one <laughs> and you, you've just got like i've null deployed you you don't get to do anything score um, any of your good cards because let's face it turns three four the kill secondaries are very good cards aren't they absolutely so and that's one, when they yeah. get investigated signals <laughs> yeah. yeah it really is um yeah, null deploy, I guess, is a term that I is that a term that people use, or I'm I'm not sure if that's something that's made its way into to 40k. Um, the the concept being basically, if you go second, your opponent doesn't get to do anything. Yeah, uh, fancy terminology for what I think everyone tries to do. Yes, yeah, the dream, isn't it? Oh, you can't yeah. do. Anything. I think we're at the stage now where enough terrain that firing yeah. indirect and stuff. You yeah. probably, unless you've made a big mistake, you probably are. Going. I find, and I think maybe this is partially with how I play, I'm quite meticulous about where I, my deployment, um, like checking all the angles, measuring out with dice, uh, and also just saying to my opponent, do you agree that this this line of sight is cut off from here and here? I don't think, typically, I, I can't remember the last time that I took any major damage turn one, uh, obviously, if you're playing an infantry-based <laughs> list, it's a lot easier. But if I think a lot of the time, you can kind of get away with just not taking any damage early on, yeah. especially oh, my, on UKTC. Yeah, exactly. I think it's probably terrain. Yeah. And then, like, if we talk about Scrivo playing into Tau in the final game of teams. Um, where, <laughs> um, I've had a worse game against Tau since then. I have you. Well, that's, that's promising, Scrivo. Yeah. Um, what did you lose turn one in that game? Uh, I lost my infiltrators that were in my deployment zone. That's impressive. Because a devilfish came across the... Because we were in the um, deployment zone that is the quarters with the circle in the middle. Yeah. The devilfish comes out, bloops some guys into the ruin that's on the edge of my of my deployment zone. They're there on the ruin going brap, 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 killing them. Then turn two, the crisis suits will just swing around and go, oh, these whirlwinds, they're, they're not there anymore. And the rest of your army, they're gone too. And I was like, cool. That turn one roll really, really was important. 
Yeah, the relevance there for anyone who's missed it. Infiltrators have a 12-inch do-not-come-near-me bubble, um, trying to keep those whirlwinds safe early on. He he got the defender role and to go first, so it was literally yeah. like... And, and the Vanguard detachment's really good against someone when they're right up in your face. Hmm. Um, I'm assuming that was Battle of Britain, that uh, you yeah. had that experience there. Well, yeah. you know... Some of the, the best players in the country yeah, should be there. Yeah. So uh, Alan from Team Scotland better. is very good with his towel, and I did not expect them to be right up in my face turn one. So, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> the hidden towel is always the deadliest. <laughs> Lovely stuff. So, uh, measuring th opponents' threat ranges, we have touched on this, but just to yeah. sort of really wrap up this one before we move on, um, what is it that you're looking for and obviously it changes, you know, you've got your orcs and your world eaters, you measure them out and you go, so what's your turn one threat range? Oh, 35 inches. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and then you kind of just go, fuck it. If you charge me, you charge me. Um, uh, what what do you find the most useful to try and measure out? What what are your highlights when you're deploying against your opponent? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's thinking about what are their biggest threats in terms of like shooting, what's going to really hurt you. And can where, where can it get to? Um, I think so. If you're playing into Eldar, for example, you would want to be thinking, well, actually, their range isn't that great unless they're playing for fire prisms, but their um, their kind of maneuverability is really good, especially with all the infantry. So you're thinking, right, those wart spiders are there. They're going to go twenty four. Is that going to put them in a place where they can get somewhere like pain in the ass and that sort of thing? So thinking about the um, the the main threats to you. Mm. Um, and then thinking, well, where can they get to and am I hidden from them, I guess. And then in terms of combat, as you say, I mean, we've all done that. Haven't we? How far can they go? Oh, right, okay, they can go 13 inches. Well, that's here. Then you mark it out with dice and you're like, oh, that's... Uh, I don't really get to deploy anywhere now. And then I think that's a whole separate conversation, isn't it, where you're now like, right, well, how am I deploying in a way that I can go and do stuff in this mm. game and not just auto lose because I'm backlined. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not losing all my valuable stuff. And it might be that you really spread yourself around so they can't kill a load of getting to multiple combats and kill and tag and that sort of thing. It might be you have your kind of your wall of spread out your infiltrators. They're really good, obviously, for stopping opposing scout moves. I think to World Eaters, stick your uh, infiltrators across the middle of the board and um you know they, they they can't make the most of their scout move they can't move through you because they don't fly um so yeah that's going to be a really nice way of kind of playing that's so yeah. it's about kind of like layering it and staggering it as best you can um but yeah for definitely it's the you don't care about the threat ranges of all the medium infantry usually normally it's like the big tanks and that sort of thing and where can they get to because sometimes it's like ed was saying like the knights, you're like, oh, where are they going to get to? They're going to get far. They've got that. They've got that big melter gun that's scary. But actually, you know, that one d six damage through probably um, isn't really going to be that big a deal. So you're perhaps it's not really worried, worrying about that as much as because um, you can. Stuff. You can be too defensive that that means you have to unpack in your turn. So I used to do that a lot with my orc buggy list, where if the train wasn't great, I'd spend, I'd deploy so defensively, I'd spend two turns getting out of my deployment zone. And that's, um, I watched a video. It was a really good video. It was on the war room. It was by Jack Hartstreet. It was about world eaters. And he was saying the big thing about when you're playing the world eaters is obviously you've got such huge turn one threat ranges. And your opponent's got two choices. They either, well, initially I think, well, either deploy forward, in which case you're just going to slam into them, or they can deploy back. 
if they deploy back, well, if they go first, all they're going to spend their first turn doing is moving into the spot where they would have been anyway. So that doesn't achieve anything because then you just charge them like you would have anyway. And if they go second, the World Eaters are going to move and stage and then you're going to move forward and get charged as well. So actually deploying all the way back, all it does is, as you said that word a lot, tempo, it just costs you a turn and you're now a turn behind. You're not going to be in a position to score your cards unless you're Eldar. Um, so I think it's um, I think it's really important. You are thinking about yeah, really important thinking about your first turn and what terrain are you trying to get to, what objectives are you trying to get to. It's really easy to go right. I'll put this unit behind this building, this unit behind this building, and then it gets to your turn. You're like, oh shit, I need a five on my advance to get to that objective. Like was actually maybe you could have been out in the open because. I mean, I'm definitely guilty for this. I played Mike Porter, and I was running my I was running a few Harlequin gunboats at the time, and I would tuck them inside my um, inside my L, and that meant my L would then because I'm just so used to flying over everything. But it meant I had to come back out and across to move my Star Weavers. Whereas Mike was just putting all his Star Weavers on the edge of the board, so the line of sight was blocking, but he just had the straight run throughs. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, why Why haven't I been doing that? And actually, he was just like, well, obviously, you can't get to me if you're shooting. So it doesn't matter where I am in the context. So actually, sometimes you can afford to be out in the open, which will get you further because your opponent isn't going to be able to get to you and shoot you. So again, being aware of those, um, those threat ranges is important. Yeah, I want to just go back to what you were saying before about people being too defensive. That was, I think... Because I like playing lists that can bring high damage output in a very focused area. So I like bringing a lot of guns that might have a short range, but quite mobile. And what I find people play against that is they'll put all of their stuff really far back. When I was playing Tau in 9th edition, I had games where people deploy their entire army behind their big L because you know they were looking at it like oh if you put them here and you move that way however far um you know with your flat advance you can you can see into here and you'll just kill everything oh I've got to put everything behind the ruins like oh okay cool so you don't get a turn one yeah and your turn two puts you where you should have deployed mm. so that's you know it's um it's definitely one that people play too far back yeah i think if you're playing against something that's super mobile sometimes you just got to accept okay something's going to to die how can i deploy in a way that when you come out to kill the thing that you were going to kill on turn one anyway that in response i get to kill you back that's the uh the trade-off you got to look for there in your deployment how can you you set up so that they have to come to the exposed position to get the line of sight onto you or how do they have to come further than they would have liked to have done Absolutely. Lovely stuff. Uh, do we have anything else on that one that we uh, want to go to before we look at viewer questions? Anything that we've missed there? I think we've been fairly... No, I think we've covered all the things that we kind of planned on talking about. No, I mean... Perfect. Well, if you have any burning desires for us to discuss in the chat, you've got a good probably eight to ten minutes to whack them in the YouTube chat. Uh, and if you miss it by then, well, tough titties. Um, so moving on to the viewer questions, we have got from Ultimate Funk. How would the panel feel about A, 
more prominence given to battle line units in the rules, and B, conditional battle line, like Sigma, i.e. units being battle line in a certain detachment, or if a certain model is picked to be the general. Who wants to start with this one? Scrivo, you probably played the most Age of Sigma out of us. Yeah, so um, in Age of Sigma, you get to reinforce... So when you're building a, a unit in Age of Sigma, so if you're a unit of three, you can make it a unit of six, which is to reinforce it. Battle line units can be double reinforced. Mm. That is their kind of their big thing. So mechanically at the moment for battle line in 40k, it's just you can have six units of it. Mm. And I don't value that enough. I don't there's any, like thematically, like Terminators, if you went battle line and have the ability, you could have six units of five Terminators. I don't think you could probably fit them in a list. Let me Let me tell you. War dogs. Uh, I I think it would be healthier not to have that, if anything, because oh, okay. we just have them's fighting of, words. I just I I don't think it adds anything to the game. It just creates more spammy lists. <laughs> it's like I used to like it if it meant something. So it, maybe if it meant that the battle line newts had plus one OC if they were battle line or something, if they were make it a reason for them to be battle line. Like yeah, like, make I, it an excuse thematically. But I, I guess we can address why it's important or maybe not important to have battle line. It is basically another lever they can turn to stop things being too OP. If you have to take battle line units to score in a way that I really didn't enjoy in the second half, yeah. uh, half of ninth edition, it was very hard for vehicle lists and monster lists to do uh, to to play the mission. If you go back to that sort of style, people can't run as many of the killer units and they have to run the scoring units. It's one approach. Um, I think just write a type of rule set instead of just being like only, you know, your 55 point model that can infiltrate can do objectives. Oh, I was taking <laughs> them anyway because they're really good at doing that. Uh, I don't personally like being tied into it. How about you, Chris? So um, the in the Eldar book, if you um if you take the troop master as mm. a um, warlord it means the harlequin troop become battle line so that's how you kind of get your six boats and hose kind of list um i would have really liked it if it had given them a good rule a just an extra oc just make <laughs> them oc2 because of it damage yeah. If that would do that, survivability. Yeah, or yeah, I mean, hey, a troop lead, a troop master that does more than one damage. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but hey, we don't get these things. But if yeah. you made the Harlequin troops when they're when you've gone for pure Harlequins, if you've made them um, OC two, something that actually makes them quite a bit more interesting because you can go and fire them off um, onto objectives and really out OC a lot of stuff. So like that sort of little tweak. Mm -hmm. I think would be quite nice but that's my only experience really um or thinking about it so that's all i have to offer yeah that's fair uh speaking of eldar we had forge will titan in the chat saying eldar question which affects deployment can a solitaire blitz and advance you want to take this one chris um i'd love to the answer um, is no if you have to check um i don't think it can it can't it's a it's a different type of move i believe it's a, a normal move and you can't so it before it makes so it can use this ability before it makes a normal move if it does until the end of the turn 
add 2d6 to this model's move characteristic and then add extra attacks. So yeah, so you have to be making a normal move um, and its normal move is 12. So it becomes a 12. It's basically giving you essentially because it has advance and charge is essentially giving you a 2d6 advance rather than a 1d6 advance but you aren't actually advancing so any so for example if it got knight spinned um it could still blitz i guess to uh to clarify the reason you can't is because it's a normal move is legally distinct from an advance yeah. it's a, a separate rule yeah, yeah. separate type of movement so uh, Stephen Bus Photography said, speaking of Mr. Porter, are you still planning to do an episode discussing what top tier players say you reveal as they play? And this is in reference to the fact that when I played against Mike, um, there were some things which I think he did really well in terms of communication. And there were other things where I was a bit surprised at. Um, and I've had that experience in various ways in playing into um, other kind of like, the, I guess the, you'd say like the really well-known top players. Um, and we said that it'd be quite interesting to do a, it, I'm sure it'd be a controversial episode, but it would be quite a good fun one to do. And this weekend, because I'm now World Eaters main, I spent my whole time watching Xenos Petting Zoo, which is a YouTube channel, which live streams and it live streams the Cali Cup or something. Yeah, and basically, um, Anthony Vanella played the entire weekend on stream with his World Eaters. So as someone who's interested in learning World Eaters, it was really interesting for me. And boy, were there some interesting things on that stream in terms of how they played. Not in like a bad way, I'm saying, but in ways that are very different to how I think most people would play. And I think it would be a really interesting podcast topic to discuss um, kind of things, because he certainly did some things in there where I'm the opponent. Many opponents would have gone, no, you can't do that. Our very own Lee Churchwood would have taken Anthony Vanella to task multiple times. But there was kind of this understanding that actually the game wasn't going to be be playing in that spirit. Just to give you an example, it'd be something like, I'm going to move here and shoot your Angron. Oh, you shouldn't be able to see my Angron. Can I just, I'll just move it back here then. Okay, yeah, yeah that's fine. That sort of conversation happened every game constantly. And I know a lot of people would be like, no, you can't move him now. You moved him there. You leave him there. And um, mm. I think, um, I mean, it's such an interesting one because I've certainly done it. Like, I mean, I used the example earlier when I was playing Jack and Jack was like, actually, you don't want me to be able to see that thing. And I know I can get frustrated when my opponents are shooting at a unit, which I've clearly tried to hide, but maybe the ribbon is stuck out. So therefore, as a player, I go out of my way to make sure I'm like, oh, do you want to just tuck that? We'll rotate that model around so that you're safe and that sort of thing. But I think sometimes there were there were various interesting moments which um, would cause a very good debate. So I would absolutely love to um, run that um, run that sort of episode. It would just have to be maybe. A very special time where we're mentally prepared to take on um, and chat a load of shit about people. I mean, it turns out six plus plus were the villains all along. Yeah, yeah. Who knew? We've lured them all in. Oh, they're the nice guys. I don't think so. We've made a list. We've got a black book of all the people we're going to strike. It's down. a death note. <laughs> <laughs> well, that took a grim turn there. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So 
Um, there's a lot of questions. That, again, just uh, for the tally, anyone keeping score at home, that's me being distracted by trying to read the next podcast question. But it turns out there's just six lines of people talking underneath. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm so glad we've created that special section to talk about the podcast questions. Yeah, yeah, Indeed. it's fine. Well, well uh, so... Sai says, is there much exact, uh, excitement among the 6++ team for the new Necron Codex, or do you feel it'll be a bit watered down as an early non-Space Marine Codex? I'm going to take this one. I don't think I can call myself a Necron player anymore, because at this point, it has been, I think, four years since I've played <laughs> Necrons at a tournament. But God, I love Necrons, man. I really loved the 8th edition book. It wasn't good. But it was fun. There was so much Somatic. you could do with it. Like, and when I say so much you could do with it, there were two builds. But like, they felt great to play. Whereas the ones that came through ninth edition, like, they were so just boring. And there are going to be people who enjoy the style of Necrons in ninth edition, and that is fine. But it's not what I enjoyed picking you're up wrong. Necrons for. No, no, it's, you're not wrong for enjoying the game in a different way to me. But it's not no, the way that I enjoyed playing Necrons. And I am not actually excited because i'm really concerned that it's just going to be more of the same i haven't liked the style of necrons in 10th edition because the style of necrons in 10th edition is just a worse version of the necrons in 9th edition mm. they don't kill yeah. anything they go here's my scoring can you deal with it oh you can i lose the game as we've seen over the last few weeks of results and they've got a ridiculously low win rate compared to where people were expecting them to be going into lgt so i'm really not excited for necrons but i hope they get their fun I hope that somehow they write rules that make you go, oh, actually, the best way to play them isn't just can you stat check me or not. Um, yeah. How about yourself, Chris? Well, I, you and I are very similar. We both really enjoyed our Necrons in 8th. And then, I mean, I, yeah, we didn't retouch them much in ninth. So much so that we, they're kind of like the one of the original armies I still have. And I've got quite a lot of points of them painted. I've got quite mm. a lot of points like not painted. And for the first time, I am actually genuinely considering um, selling them, like the whole yeah. army, um, because I'm I'm trying not to be sentimental here. You know, this was this was probably my first competitive love as outside of custody all the bikes. This was my first competitive like love of an army. I really enjoyed playing them, and so there's a lot of sentimentality. I think I did quite a nice job but in terms of the painting style. I think they're a really effective army on the tabletop. Um, and I am just like, is there realistically, is there a chance that I'm going to play these guys this edition now that the book's about to come out? And I'm like, I just can't see it. I can't see a situation where I'm like, right, I definitely want to play the Necrons now. And so for that reason, I am at, I'm going to wait till the book comes out um, for two reasons. Number one, maybe, just maybe. Um, three Doomsides and three Doomsday Arcs and two Tesseract Arcs will be a thing again. I mean, oh, not God, particularly. I'm not particularly optimistic, but maybe it will be a thing, and then I would jump to that. Um, and secondly, obviously, more people will be interested in buying Necrons when the book comes out. So I'm waiting until then. But if you have been thinking maybe Necrons are for me, wait till that book comes out. And if you're in the UK, then maybe. Um, Good shout. Maybe you could come and buy my army and you yeah. can various battle reports, and it is quite nice. It's quite if nice. anyone wants to buy uh, an eighth edition tournament, uh, I think I've got like five thousand points of Necrons all yeah, painted in that sandstone yeah. style that nobody did up until 
they got the new book, uh, they got the starter box in ninth edition. I was like, fuck, everyone's gone for the the paint scheme that I copied off someone else. Thanks, God, I've Mikey made bad from choices. Hellstorm. Did he do them? He did a big video and it went. Uh, <laughs> okay. Blame. Oh well. How about you, John? Um, I see. To me, the end of ninth was when I finally kind of went. I actually quite like these Necrons because of the play style was something different to me. So it was mm. the Obsex Swarm, whilst making some in, like Chronomancers putting invuns on Scorpex and then them just running forward was fun to me because I like my choppy units. I like my survival units. I've got Deathwing Knights, who knew? Um, so to me, I'm kind of like, th- when the edition dropped, I just went, right, I'm shelving my Orcs, because they've been lent to Aaron for a year. I think it was roughly in the end. So I was like, I'm going to focus on the Dark Angels, and I'm going to do some Necrons, because I collected a load of cheap Necrons from everyone buying the magazine. And then the the, the, the the index dropped, and I just went, this is not what I signed up for. And slowly, as I saw kind of it be solved and kind of not complete it's not like there isn't variation to the list it's still very much you sit there and you just don't die and that to me is not that's not playing warhammer so i've kind of been a bit turned off by that but seeing how the nids book and the space room book have dropped with their um detachment rules i have some hope but i think i might be excited by some of the detachments like if they do a destroyer cult themed one it might be good but the big caveat to me is the data sheets need changing mm. and I'm worried that they're not like if you look at how much changed from the NIDS and Space Marine indexes there wasn't that much so and they came out like... and said that they didn't want to change the data sheets if they could avoid it and yeah. that's what's got me worried if this was like this could be a codex that was written later in the cycle we don't know because they don't release them necessarily in order they, they sometimes do shuffle them around, but you never know. It could be a later book, and they could have changed them, but that makes me worried. But yeah. I'm, I, I, like Chris, I'll see how it goes. If not, there'll be a, a half-painted, rusty Necron army sat in a box for an edition, which is fine. And that's it, isn't it? It's like thinking now, especially with the early releases, Like if you don't like the army and the detachments, we don't know, do we? We don't know if other stuff's going to come out, but does that mean your army is now like, well, I'm not interested in it for four years? Is that the situation we're in? Like barring points changes, um, because it might it might not be. Oh, if this gets tweaked, then I could take this, and all of a sudden I'm I'm happy. That's sure one way of approaching yeah. it. But if those rules just genuinely don't interest you, you're yeah. storing an army for potentially three, four years now. Oh, hey, that's where I am yeah. with my orcs, my nids, and my necrons, exactly. having a great time in tenth edition. Oh, and my tau. Uh, love I don't want to start selling armies I've spent months painting and I've got <laughs> four or five grand on just because I'm not going to play them for four years because maybe I will want to come back to them. Yeah. What, what's really funny is you know what's happened now. You and me, we're the boomers. Eighth edition to ninth edition, we're like, <laughs> oh, Necrons. Scrivo, ninth edition to tenth edition. He's like, oh, this sucks. Who are we going to have who picks them up this edition? Maybe it's Alex, or you know, who's played Alex them in the edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, who then comes into eleventh edition? And goes, God, I don't like the way they've taken that. <laughs> and we can just have a podcast of four of us just saying, going, reminiscing. Oh, Re- remember in in my day when Necrons could, uh, you know, double explode with their Tesla on fours. Oh uh, God, don't talk to me about seventh edition. I'm still getting flashed. No, that was eight, that. that was eighth. No, edition. Eight. Seventh rules are worse. Oh yeah. my God. Well, well my first oh. ever tournament. It was like an 80-man event, and it was I won it because my scarabs 
made an eight-inch charge on ter- bottom of turn one to tie up an entire Admet gun line. And like from then on, my my love of scarabs has just always been there. And uh, beautiful. Yeah, sentimental, right? But yeah, yeah. it's a tough one. Yeah, cool. So we'll pick up some from the chat here. We've had a bit of movement in there. Mega Miniature says, how many games would you typically recommend someone to play with a new army before a small tournament? Uh, let's go John first. Uh, depending on how quickly you understand the matchups, if you've already played some of the matchups and you have an, an okay understanding of your army, I'd say two or three games just to kind of get the reps in with your army, not necessarily who you're going up against to me would be acceptable i think it does vary like some players like tom i hate tom to death he'll play his army for the first time and he's like yeah that was pretty solid i know what they all do it was like one of his first games of uh, thousand suns a couple of months back i was like cool you're playing this better than i am with my space marines and i've been playing them for uh eight weeks fantastic <laughs> skill diff get good and uh chris <laughs> so i can as someone who due to a youtube poll took thousand sons um in ninth edition to a tournament having never played them and just borrowed a friend's army i can tell you for free that you do not want to do that um i mean <laughs> shocked obviously it depends um entirely on what sort of person you are i know for multiple instances now that I'm not the sort of person that can pick up an army and immediately know how to use it. Um, and whenever I've played kind of like game ones, I, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and just end up forgetting the basics of Warhammer. I think that's probably been my experience. You get so caught up in all the different, what the different units can do. And if I was to think about how I play my army now and all, when you know an army well, so many of the things you do are actually instinctive, like the having the units and the auras in the right places and you have the clear pattern and play of what goes where and what order you're going to put units forward and that sort of thing. When you've never played the army before, you don't have that in place. And it's incredibly intimidating. On top of that, you're trying to just remember all your rules. I mean, I still get confused between a a spirit seer and a farce's weapons on the, every game like even in tournaments and i've been using them for a long time so um i think you owe it to your opponent to know your rules well enough because if you don't know your rules um and you're constantly looking at your phone or index cards or whatever then that's not fair on your opponent um and also if you then think think you know it and you just don't like we had a teams event my opponent got more in hindsight or found out afterwards got multiple rules incredibly wrong um and like that's not really fair on me or whoever you're playing against to be basically cheating right it wasn't intentional but they gave themselves massive advantages by playing the rules in that way and i just assumed they were right um so you owe it to your opponent to know your rules well enough and i don't personally believe you can do that if you rock up to an event um like that um so you shouldn't do it don't listen to youtube don't do the youtube polls um so i would say kind of like three to four games i would say by the end of the tournament which was five which was a five or six game event i felt i had a decent understanding of um thousand sons enough to be able to play games and be at the level where now i was ready to start learning the army and how to play it and um, but it took me that especially the first day 
And then first game in the morning, I was a bit more prepared. So I'd say three to four games to know your rules well enough. Then I say you're in a place to go to a small tournament and get that good experience of playing that army and really start to learn it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a, the the big aspect there is the um, being fair to your opponent. Um, you want to make sure that you know your rules accurately as much as possible. Yes, you'll probably have to check some things. I've now played, you know, however, no, better example. In ninth edition, I played like 60, 70 tournament games with Nids and occasionally I'd be like, hold on, what does that do? Oh, yeah, yeah, And, you know, you you, you just check and then you're fine. Um what I would say is, I, I've said before on the podcast, I took Tau to Coventry, the eighth eight game event to learn Tau. And I did, but I played, I think, four practice games before then to make sure that I was fresh on my rules, knew what everything did. Uh, and I wasn't having to go, hold on, what's my movement? Because you, you, then it's unfair for your opponent. Let's say that you're going to lose because they're playing an army that they're competent on. You're playing an army that you're not good on. But you only get three turns into the game because you've had to check so much and, you know, your opponent hasn't put you on a clock, which is another discussion. But um, that's unfair for them for their placing later in the event. So you want to make sure that you can play a game, it reaches its natural conclusion. Um, you know, you've got that level of competence with the army. That's what I'd go with. All right, we've got some late joiners here. We've got Paint Celestine, Hick Dead. Nice to see you both. Um, fortunately, through the power of the internet, you can go back and watch it from the beginning. Um, don't feel like you have to just watch us now. Uh, next up, we have got... Paint Celestine says, Do you think Marines need to rework the special characters for a specific chapter system? Why play Raven Guard, who only have Kevin Shrike, uh, when Ultramarines have more special characters than Votan have? Uh, I'm assuming that wasn't a typo, and you just you think of Kavian as, as Kevin, which oh, is yeah. a fantastic nickname. <laughs> I like that. Um, I personally think it's fine. I think the middle ground they've got at the moment is you can play Kavian Shrike in Vanguard. Cool. Or you can play them in Firestorm. Cool. Or you can play them in whatever you fancy. I really like that. Um you're not limited because you wanted to take a special character. The only limiting factor is going, oh, I want to take these two characters. Oh, I can't. One's Ultramarines, one's not. Well, I guess I'll play Ultramarines in this case because, you know, maybe there's a third special character in there that I'm like, oh, I'll pick this one up. Um, but I don't think special characters, typically in 10th edition, are the be-all and end-all. We're seeing a lot more just running, like, basic characters, like Captains, for example, because mm. they give you free strat usage, or the apothecary biologist, the harmacist, because he gives you lethal hits, which is just not replicated elsewhere. Yeah. Um, there are exceptions to the rule, but I think I don't think it's a major issue. Either of you yeah. disagree with me? I have zero opinion on space marines, so cool. um, I would assume, like you know, the fact that if you want to be that person that plays Shrike, then you're probably not coming at it from as competitive a top tier angle. So actually, knock yourself out and play your your raven guard yeah. which are all painted pretty or whatever um, yeah. So, yeah seems fun to me absolutely so we've got a couple of world eater questions let's start with um <laughs> is there a way to make world eaters work without using angry ron yeah i mean he's obviously a really exciting beat stick that goes bloody far turn one if you want him to and then can come back and if you all the things get all the combos right i think it's like if he dies turn two there's like a 60 to 70 percent chance that you're getting back 
by um, turn five um, to use him. So Rizzac is pretty pretty nice. But having said that, you know he is one big character who can die reasonably easily, and um, he might well not come back. So I think any sort of world eater forward pressure list, which instead of having Angron has a lot more exalted eight bound or more berserkers, more realistically in rhinos, right? That's still that's what I want to see from people. Yeah. More rhinos. Rhino yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you've got Master of Executions in one, you've got the um, Khan in the other. I think that's um I think that's uh I think that's kind of that's fun. And we did see on the weekend at, um, there was a teams event in Cardiff where Manny took just a shed load of jackals. So if you wow, want that doesn't a really sound like the boring, list that Manny would play. boring game, that's an option. Just take lots of bodies. Were they were they actually all jackals, or were they just um, the racks from Ninth Edition with guns? I, I can't <laughs> possibly comment, but I would imagine they might be as purple um, cultists that you took to. Um, oh, that's that's MGT. fine. I think that no, seems reasonable to me. The jackals and cultists are fairly similar. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely some play. There's there's some options there, I think. But it is still they're lacking in characters outside of him. Realistic, like you don't have a foot lord. Yeah, he's called so, Khan. But, well, you can't have more than one though. Yeah, he's called Master of Executions. <laughs> Master of Executions is so good. Yeah, the angry also, one does provide the... um, does provide solutions to a variety of things, which is why he is in pretty much all the lists at the moment, but I think yeah. you can still do well with a non yeah. Just to, to push back a little bit there on um, your point, Scrivo, uh, the lords on the Juggernaut can join Corn Berserkers, so yeah. you've you've got plenty of characters Just that can join put, him. Could you put him in a rhino with them? Uh, no. That would be, be the only downside. But just yes. in that, like the CSM angle of like angry people in rhinos, you don't get that. Oh, God, the, the, the lords do so, as, <laughs> like more damage than the squad have chosen them with. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty disgusting. Keeping up with the theme of World Eaters, Sindri says, question for Chris, you went, mentioned you weren't sure how you would be basing your World Eaters. Did you decide yet? How about on top of dead and dismembered Grey Knights? <laughs> that would be exciting. Um, that would be quite sad for me. Um, I Today I did come to a decision I am going to go for... The, um, the style I planned on using for my Tyranids, of which I painted two models of, <laughs> which is um, it's a reddish hue. So rather, so my Grey Knights are just the um, uh, Martian, like Iron Earth or whatever the cra red crackle paint is. Yeah. Um, for these guys, <clears throat> I'm going to be a bit more, so I'm going to kind of like sand, I'm then going to use a Gredan Badland or whatever the crackle paint is, put um, stones on them wait for that all to dry, then paint over it doom ball red, brown, whatever it is, and then dry brush that on top there. So I'm just going to be putting a bit more effort in than a basic texture paint. But as I said earlier, my Hor it's Horus Heresy style, so it's that white armour. I've got really strong, powerful red skin on like the eight bounds and stuff. And I just feel that it needs that nice, vibrant um, kind of base to set off against the white and the, um, the white and the blue. So that's what I chose to go for. God, when you said powerful red skin, I just immediately pictured the eight bound as like, you know, the stereotypical British 40 to 60 year old man on holiday in MAGA. <laughs> you, you just need to do... With a you know, stellar in hand going, I'm just yeah. angry. I'm angry. 
Britain. You know, England, what I'm aiming for. So. England, England's lost the uh, the finals of the Euros again. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Life I'm going to cause the damage. No, I mean, whenever I look at my exalted eight bound, basically they remind me of Hellboy. It's that kind of red that they've got. Yeah. For, so. It's Very nice. Existence as the gammon. You know it. You fucking know it. Um, God, we have people are popping off with questions. I want to go to bed. Come on, mate. Stop <laughs> asking questions. All right. So we're going to go back to the Discord. Just make stuff says, is there a unit you know deep down is worth taking, but you just can't bring yourself to include in any of your lists? That's a great question. It used to be Fugan. But now you can't take him out of your lists. I used to love Fugan. I used to be like, Fugan is such a good model. Yeah. But I just can't fit him in. And now, obviously, he's in all the time. But it used to be Fugan. These days, I would love to take Dire Avengers because I think there's a place with them. And maybe come January, there'll be a place for them now. But yeah, I don't know. I can't, can't bring it to myself to put them Will in. wins the army, just got way this better. Is so. This is the problem. With Night Spinners around, it was bad. You're like, well, Night Spinners about to go away. But with Whirlwinds around, you're like, oh, man, they're still crap. So yeah, maybe they'll be the unit that never was because you know i played them once at an rtt and hey actually they were really quite useful into some matchups but um yeah there's nothing i wrong. played uh wraith guard and it was that the same that. the same event that was that we the were same at. tournament yeah you played wraith yeah. guard i played dire avengers and i won that event so yeah. um i, I, I that... second so you know <laughs> And I, you were, you were, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, Chris was the last place Eldar player, I believe, at that event. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'm a big fan of well, not a big fan. I'm a big I'm a sucker for units that I'm like this is objectively good. I'm not going to take it. Uh, Trajan in ninth edition when I was doing like a Shadow Keepers list, I was like I don't need him. He's too expensive. He doesn't do what I want him to do in the list. And I think that was right. But like, there's always something that people will be like this is really good. I'm like I look at it. I'm like. I just don't love it. I don't love it. Don't think it's good. I'm not going to run it. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I change my mind down the line and sometimes I stick stubbornly. Um, and I, I'm a big believer of um, groupthink is is people are wrong a lot of the time with their groupthink in lists and building. And they'll just copy whatever someone who's really good has done. And perhaps the person who's really good has just gotten away with it through player skill. Um, but they're running something that is objectively wrong if you, you break it down so yeah quite often i will have a unit such as trajan in ninth edition that i'm like he's too expensive for what he does it doesn't fit in this list yeah. cool nothing to add to that one you're just gonna, well, gonna let, you... <sighs> let me be a special snowflake yeah all right we can't um, be yeah no that's true so then we went back to pain and said what do you feel in regards to the rise of lone characters who can join squads but don't? Lone characters, yeah, the lone 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 ops just incredible. It's the best rule in 40k now that um, devastating wounds no longer has the most broken targets that it had before. Titanic is gone. It's um, lone operative. I mean, I remember it wasn't myself. I'm not going to claim that I was the one saying it, but I remember seeing people discuss as 10th was coming out that lone operative might be you know just a major problem and here we are it's warped the game uh i don't love the way that it's warped the game but it is a thing that you've got to deal with yeah no exactly that it's just it, the good armies have them just because they just offer so much like kind of yeah. utility don't yeah. they? 
Yeah. And uh, if you're playing a Xenos faction without them, sucks to be you. Um, because if you're playing Chaos and or Imperium, you can just ally them in. Um, yet another example of terrible rules writing from Games Workshop. Why or why? Do we not have? Why do we have super factions, but not have a Xenos super faction? Um, well, hang on a sec. He says, no, no, not low knock characters. Characters who are run solo but aren't low knocks. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, if you go back in the video, um, I did talk about how I was, you know, playing around with using Trajan as a lone character. We did have a little yeah. bit of discussion. Fugan, keep on harping on about Fugan, but we put him out in the open, and your parents are like, is he lone up? And you're like, nope. And they're like, oh. And then, and then they, they don't want to shoot him anyway, because he's going to get back up and he's hard <laughs> to kill and that sort of thing. So it probably depends on the character um, and the role they play in the army. Um, but yes, a lot of them are are really good, quite tasty, especially if they're hard to kill, because you don't want to waste your time trying to kill, trying to kill a character, which actually you might well not do when you're trying to kill like their mission playing and all that sort mm. of Yes, um, Paint Celestine also says, what do you feel is the hardest-hitting non-special character in the game? Master of Executions with the Berserker Glaive in World Eaters. He can one-shot um, the Avatar. Nice. So that's, uh, that's a thing. Uh, Honourable mention, I've got a Lord of Change with the Staff of Change enhancement, I believe it's called. He's strength nine. Uh, his rule... Gives all Zinch demons around him, I think, six inches bubble, plus one strength, so he goes up to strength 10. And then that enhancement gives him plus two strength um, if he's in his locus of change, which you're playing demon, so of course you're in your locus of change. Duh. Um, takes him up to strength 12. And then it's something daft, like you overcharge it, you've got D D3 plus six shots, strength 12, AP3, D3 damage, but then you get to choose... This um, is one. Yeah, so you can choose one of multiple runes rules, like uh, ignore cover, which is nice, or you can just take sustained hits two. Yeah, which is I, so funny. Twice it's fired into my incarn, and twice it's nearly one shot the incarn. Mm. So, uh, I take you've played Jack Tight twice then, because uh, <laughs> no. he was playing around with that previously. That's yeah, where I stole I it from. Definitely coming. <laughs> it's pretty brilliant. Um, Keenan says, would love a matchup plus plus stream with World Eaters. Um, don't worry, Keenan, you'll be able to beat your close mate soon. I'm sure Jack has that on the menu. To be fair, after the last matchup plus plus show, we started talking about what we do next, and World Eaters is the one we definitely are going to do. Perfect. Perfect. So the next we'll one to... will have World Eaters in it. Don't have to wait too long then. Um, Jack says, buy Vallejo or AK Interactive Texture Paint. You get like five times the amount for only twice the price. Always oh, a good um, idea there. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. and then I think the rest of it is just people responding to themselves or to <laughs> us which is reasonable, you know, just fully stun lock in my brain, uh, can't be dealing with that alright, nice. we've gone 1 hour 45 uh, way too long how dare you keep me for this amount of time uh, you'll you'll yeah <laughs> Very rude of you. Uh, you'll be <laughs> receiving a letter in the mail from my lawyer. Okay. Thank you for watching. Uh, as always, we have been the 6++ Plus Show, and we will be back with you next week for more Japes and Jackets.